Good morning, church. It's my privilege to be with you all today in the house of the Lord. Whether you're joining us online or in person, I welcome you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the reason that we gather together. It is all about Him. It is all for Him, church. And may He be glorified in and through our time. Church, this morning we are again in our series, Preaching the Kingdom. We have been in the series for a total of 12 weeks now, with a few messages in between. And in our time together, we have seen how Jesus sets a completely new and higher standard for those that are called his followers. He sets the bar very high for those that are his kingdom representatives. But church, the reason he does this is because he wants our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts, right? He's not concerned about the outward appearance and image that we try to create before other people. He wants our hearts connected to Him in everything that we do for Him. And as we progress through the Sermon on the Mount, it's just amazing to me to see how Jesus has this incredible way of dealing with the true intentions of our hearts. He has this amazing way of pointing out how superficial obedience to Him means absolutely nothing. But he doesn't leave us there because he shows us where our hearts should be directed toward when we do certain things. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, but I say to you. And then he proceeds to explain the right way of teaching, understanding, and applying these important laws, principles, and disciplines to our lives. I don't know about you, church, but this study on the Sermon on the Mount has been life-changing for me. And to think we're only in the second, or just getting started in the second of two, or the second of three chapters of this amazing, amazing sermon. Last week, we set a foundation for what we called three spiritual disciplines of the Christian faith. Namely, giving, praying, and fasting. We identify that each of these disciplines have commonalities in that Jesus says of each of them that firstly, it's not a matter of when we do them, but how we do them and with what motive. Secondly, Jesus shows us that we should be doing these things in secret, not drawing attention to ourselves, but rather we should be doing them as a way of connecting with our Father in heaven. That's the point. We should have no interest in building our own kingdoms for our own glory. We should only have interest in building the kingdom of God for His glory and for His honor and for His righteousness. And thirdly, when we are obedient in following steps one and two, Jesus promises us that the Father Himself will reward us openly. And that's what we should be desiring. We should desire the greater reward from our Father in heaven, not just the fleeting applause from men. We should desire a reward system with eternal benefits. Last week, we also spent some time on the principle of giving, and that if we are faithful to sow, if we are faithful to live according to God's principle, not our principle, but God's principle of sowing and reaping, we enter the cycle and framework of God's blessedness. You give, God blesses, and out of His blessing, you give again. And the cycle of blessing goes like that. 
Church, this week we are going to look at the principle of prayer as we focus on that section in Matthew chapter 6 referred to as the model prayer. And church, as we look at ways that we should be praying this week, and I think we'll go into this a part of this message next week as well, let's just start off by seeing how Jesus tells us how not to pray and how he then instructs us in the right way. So if you have your Bibles, look with me in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 5. Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask Him. So church, the first thing that we are told not to do is we are to avoid performance prayers. Right? We are to avoid performance prayers. In other words, don't play when you pray. If you look at verse 5 again, Jesus says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. And can you remember what that word hypocrites means? It's the Greek word hypocrites, and it means someone who is an actor or pretender someone who is insincere or someone who duplicates the behavior of others. It's a word that was used in ancient times to describe someone who would act on a stage and wear these different masks to act and pretend that they were these different characters. And what Jesus is telling us here is that, yes, the scribes and Pharisees, they were praying, but they were just in performance mode. They were just in pretense mode. They were just trying to duplicate the behavior of others. But Jesus knew that it wasn't sincere. You see, church, to give you a bit of background and history, in Jesus' day, the life of a Jew consisted of much prayer. At the earliest age, the young Jewish boy, boys and girls were taught a multiple of prayers. One of them was the Shema. And the Shema is taken directly from Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verses 4 to 9, where it starts by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we all know this part. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it goes all the way to verse 9. Now, they would say this prayer at least twice a day. And it was part of their custom that, that when there was enough light in the morning that you could distinguish between the, the color blue and the color white, you needed to say this prayer. And you needed to say it before you went to bed. There was also another prayer that they prayed, which was called the, the Amidah. The Amidah consists of 19 blessings that they learned, and, and they would have to recite this prayer at least three times a day. So... At a minimum, a Jewish person was praying at least five times a day. And as far as I know, many devout Jews of today still do the same. And church, it's not that the prayers are wrong 
or that the prayers were repeated so many times, or that they don't even contain important blessings for life and for godliness. But what Jesus is addressing here is the motive with which you pray. Are you praying in public to show people how you can recite this prayer that you've learned by heart? Or do you repeat it again and again with vain repetitions just because that's what you've been instructed to do? You know, has it become something that's a little robotic? Or are you actually praying these words from your heart in a way that is connecting with God? Are your thoughts fixed on God when you pray? Because you see, church, if it becomes a ritual, it's not real to God. Can I say that again? If your prayer life becomes a ritual, it is not real to God. It's not about the many words or the, the eloquence of the words. It's about the heart and it's about communicating with God. It reminds me of a story I heard about a man that was praying in a, a church in England. His English was, was terrible and broken. I don't know, maybe he was a South African visiting England, I don't know. But he was doing a good job at destroying the, the king's perfect English, or as some would say, the, the queen's English. A lady who was hearing his prayers was just beside herself as, as this man spoke in this manner. So after he prayed and, and after he said amen, she approached him and said, young man, that was the worst grammar and articulation that I've ever heard. She said, I'm appalled that you would even you know, talk in this manner in church. He turned and, and looked at that woman and said, but lady, I wasn't talking to you. Right? I was talking to God. Prayer is communication with God. That's why Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites that love to stay to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Jesus says, don't be like those who pray this way. He says, firstly, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And secondly, don't be like those who think that they will be heard for their many words. For your Father knows the things that you have need of, even before you ask Him. Right? Don't play when you pray. Now, church, that's the foundation for where we are going next. Jesus shows us how not to pray and then how we should be praying. And immediately after he has realigned our thinking on how to correctly do this, he says the following from verse 9. He says, In this manner, therefore pray. In this manner. In other words, in the way that I've just instructed you not to pray and the way that you should be pray, pray in this manner. And then he starts to repeat the Lord's Prayer. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And church, the first important thing to note here is that the Lord's Prayer is a, a model. It is a template of how to pray. 
And I don't want to offend anyone here this morning, but it's not necessarily meant to be recited word for word. And it's not like it's going to harm you if you do recite it word for word. I mean, I recite the Lord's Prayer quite often in my quiet time as a way of starting my prayer time, and then I expand on those principles within the prayer. So I don't think that there's anything wrong with reciting it only to the extent that the constant repetition of it will lose its meaning or just reduce it to merely saying this prayer. Because let's be honest, most of us could say the Lord's Prayer in our sleep, right? Because that's how well we know it. And the point is, we can go through the motions without the emotions. We can say the Lord's Prayer without even thinking about what we're saying. So in general, church, I think what we have before us with the Lord's Prayer is a model of very important elements that Jesus says, here's what I want you to include in your prayer life. And that's what I'd like us to focus on in the rest of our time together today. Church, there are five elements that I want to highlight as we look at the Lord's Prayer. If you take your notes this morning, the first is the element of relationship and role of adoration. Relationship and role of of adoration. Because Jesus starts off the model prayer by saying in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven. You know, church, I can't help but be struck by the fact that Jesus begins this prayer by saying, Our Father. Because did you know that in ancient times, in the Old Testament, God was very rarely, if ever, seen as Father? All the words that talked about God were were distant and, and based on this principle of fear. They used words like Elohim and El Shaddai. The rabbis in that day would just say the word Hashim, which means the name, right? They wouldn't even write down his name. They would only use certain consonants. In the Old Testament, only a few times is God ever referred to as the father of Israel, but only in a collective sense, not in a personal sense. But you know what's interesting? When Jesus comes on the scene, he speaks about God being father in a personal sense over 70 times. Let me give you a few examples. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I leave the world and go to the Father. He doesn't say that I've come from God and I'm going back to God. He uses a personal and intimate sense, an intimate relationship that refers to the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. And one of my favorite scriptures is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, where it says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. And church, what Jesus is telling us throughout the Gospels is that we have a relationship with the Father. The word Father speaks of intimacy, right? And we have access to the Father Himself when we pray, and we are welcomed into His presence because of this this intimate relationship. Can somebody say amen? Amen. To give you an illustration, church, 
On a Sunday after the service, sometimes there will be people that want me to, to pray with them, or I may just be talking to people about life or, you know, just shooting the breeze. So I may be busy with a number of people. But my daughters, Courtney and Rachel, know that even though I'm busy, they have freedom to come right up to me and have access to me as their father. You know, I'm not going to shoot them down and tell them to wait because they're my daughters. I'm their father. They have an intimate relationship to me. They can come right up to me into my presence. And it's the same with our Father in heaven. Just because God is God of the universe, that doesn't get in the way of Him being our Father. Even though, church, He's got millions and millions of children that He must govern, He's still Daddy. As our Father, God makes Himself available to us. And church, we have this access because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So I want to say this to you this morning. When you pray and you say, Our Father in heaven, you have immediate access to God the Father. If there's one thing that I want you to take away from the message this morning, church, it is that. That you have access to God the Father in this intimate relationship. And you know what? We all need to ask ourselves the question. There's something that I asked myself this week as I was studying this passage. Do we pray like that? Do we pray believing that we have access to God the Father in this, this intimate relationship? Do we think about what we're saying? Do we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us to give us access to the Father? I also want us to look at not only our relationship described, but our role of adoration defined in the rest of verse 9, where it says, Hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. You know, the word hallowed there sounds like quite a religious or a, a very spiritual word, doesn't it? But basically, church, what it means is to be set apart or to be sanctified to be completely and absolutely unique and to be treated completely different to everything and to everyone else. And what this part of the Lord's Prayer Church is encouraging us to do is to set apart the name and the nature and the character of God the Father in our lives. It means to treat Him completely different to everything and to everyone else. Now, the world we live in doesn't hallow the name of God, do they? They blaspheme the name of God. They, they reject the name of God. But as believers, our role is to, is to hallow His name. As we live our lives, it's our duty to set apart His name so that it would be unique and absolutely different from anything and everything else. As kingdom ambassadors, we are called to leave an imprint by being set apart, by being different, and by going against the flow. Because if I'm like everybody else, I'm not hallowing the name of our Father in heaven. And church, what a way to start your prayer. What a way to start your prayer by acknowledging that you have access to the Father God in this intimate relationship and that you are setting a standard in your life to exalt His name above everything else. Amen. Tell the person next to you, hallowed be the name of our Father in heaven. The second element I want us to look at, church, is the element of surrender and submission to God's rule. 
Verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A lot of you may be praying, Lord Jesus, let your kingdom come right now because I'd much rather be with you in heaven than than go through what I'm facing in this life. Have you said that before? I, I sometimes, and I've got to say this carefully, I sometimes hear a lot of older Christians say, you know what, I've done my part. You know, I've lived my life. You know what, my, my body's tired now. You know what, we're living in the last days anyway, so come Lord Jesus, come right now. Yeah? You just want to take everyone, eh? Everyone must go. You know, younger Christians hear that and say, you know what, I also want to live my life. I still want to have children. I want to, you know, I want to fulfill my dreams. I want to grow in the Lord. So don't be so hasty, older Christians. <laughs> yeah. And look, the kingdom of God will manifest someday. But while we are still fighting the good fight this side of eternity, church, we need to surrender and submit to God's rule over our lives. And this is such an important element in our Christian lives and how we pray, because if we're honest, we all want to be king over certain things in our lives, don't we? We all want to sit on the throne when it comes to different areas of our lives that we don't want to completely surrender and submit to God and to His Lordship. You know, we all sing that song, let the king of my heart be the mountain where I run, the fountain I drink from, oh, he is my song. But if as soon as you face the base of a mountain in your life, like a a serious challenge, and you are now tempted to drink from the fountain of your past, where alcohol was the fountain that filled you and almost drowned you, once you decide to do that, you're putting yourself back on the throne of your life, you are becoming the king of your own heart. We sing, you know what, you're never going to let me down, you're never going to let me down. But if as soon as the pressure builds in your family or in your business, or someone offends you in church, and you decide that you're the one that will never let you down, and you take the reins of your own life, you are stepping on the throne and you are dethroning the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, we have to submit and surrender everything to the Lordship of Jesus and enthrone Him as King of our heart. It's not about our plan or strategy. It is about His plan and strategy for our lives. Let me ask you, church, who's been watching the Tour de France this year? I think you have. Who's the cycling fans in the house this morning? Not many. Okay, there's a couple. But anyway, if you've been watching the the Tour de France for a, a couple of years, you will notice that it is a very strategic sport. Right, And it's not about one cyclist doing whatever he can to win the tour. It's based on an entire team doing its work. And if it works out well, the team leader or one of the team members of the team will eventually end up winning. But did you know that the strategy is not decided by the team? It's decided by the team director who has selected his team. And he's the one who decides who's the team leader. Right? He decides at some times who's going to attack and when, and ultimately what's best for the, for the team in order for them to become winners in the end. Now, every good team director, or let's say a coach of another sport, has a game plan. He has a strategy for his team, and he brings a particular philosophy of the sport to his team. And it's the responsibility of the team members to learn the coach's philosophy. 
they must adopt it and become accustomed to it. Sometimes it's hard to pick up a particular coach's philosophy and strategy, particularly church, if it's more technical and more detailed. But the idea is the coach brings in the philosophy and the strategy, and the team is to rally around and execute for, for maximum productivity. Now, if one of the team members start to question the, the strategy of the team director or the coach, that team is going to fall apart. And there's been many examples throughout the years in different kinds of sports where individuals have tried to question the team director or the coach. That team has never lasted or gone on to win anything major. And church, just as in sports, in Christianity, we have a lot of participants who have been selected into the kingdom of God, selected out of the pit of hell, but yet they want to tell their coach how to run his team. Many Christians spend their time trying to tell God how to run his kingdom. But God's response is he has his own strategy. He has his own game plan. You see, he has adopted us into his family to be a part of his plan, and we can have a strategic part to play in the game of life for his kingdom and for his glory, but only if we are operating according to his strategy. Jesus always did the will of the Father. Everything he did was in complete obedience to the Father. But you know, the problem with us, church, is that we have these two wills floating around in our lives. We have our will, and then we have God's will. And sometimes these wills are in alignment because they are in alignment if we are walking according to God's ways. But oftentimes our wills are in conflict. They are in, in opposition. And what the Lord's Prayer is intended to do, church, when you say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is intended to bring you back to the realization that, Lord, I need my will to align with your will. Right? And Father, would you bring me into alignment with what you are doing? Not my ways, but your ways. Not my thoughts, but your thoughts. Not my strategies, but your strategies. It's this attitude, church, of, Lord, I want to surrender and submit everything to you. And because I cannot do anything without you, because I cannot be victorious in any of area of my life apart from you, I want your strategy and will for my life to be accomplished. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, in my life, as I submit and surrender everything to you. And church, what I want to do in closing this morning, we will carry on with uh, the principle of prayer and the Lord's Prayer next time. But what I want to do today in closing, I have a, a practical application for you. In verse 10 where it says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What I want you to do is to take out the words on earth. You take out the words on earth and put in there whatever you need to completely surrender and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ as King. It could be, for instance, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done in my family as it is in heaven. Lord, I want your strategy for my family to, to be accomplished here on earth as it is in heaven. Or it could be, your kingdom come, your will be done in my business as it is in heaven, Lord. 
I want to submit my, my will for my business to your will. Let my business be run according to kingdom principles, not worldly principles. Whatever it is this morning, I want you to put your situation that you need to submit and surrender to the Lord. I want you to put that in your mind. And maybe we can just bow our heads for a moment as we do this. Just think about that. Let the Lord minister to you right now and show you what you haven't completely surrendered and submitted to Him. There may be a few things, but that's okay. I believe the Lord wants to do a transformational work in, in our lives this morning. There's a theme that's been coming through the service right throughout since prayer. The Lord wants to do a work in your life today. The Lord wants to strengthen you. You know what, church? It may even be a case of your kingdom come, your will be done over my drinking problem or my addiction as it is in heaven. Whatever it is, you put in there what you want to surrender and submit in that space. Let it become personal for you this morning. Remember, you are speaking to your Father. My Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done in this situation over my family, over what I'm dealing with right now.